Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Now, anyone can make a coffee or a good meal, but what separates customer service from hospitality is a genuine desire to serve and provide to our customers. You and I both know it when we receive real hospitality. True, real hospitality runs through Amir Alyssa's veins, and so too it does run through his family-run businesses. Amir, his siblings, and their mum are in the business of serving food. A cafe restaurant called Bar Biscotti is one of their outlets. Another one's called Shisha. And of course, Kanefa Bakery, another one of their outlets. But what they are most known for is being called the Bearded Bakers. That's right, this is real food theatre. All singing, all dancing, travelling bakery men with long beards serving the Jerusalem street food known as Kanefa. And people bloody love it. They line up for miles. Their energy is so infectious that this has taken the Bearded Bakers across the globe to New York, landing them with brand collaborations with big names like Qantas and Microsoft. This is a real story about energy, a real story about theatre. It's not your average street food either. It's tasty, but it's really wonderfully well marketed. You'll hear how important it is to create a genuine experience. That's a real experience around your product or service and how that attracts and connects with big corporations who then want to attach to your brand and why making seemingly small adjustments, the little one percenters to your business can create a huge impact on your customer service and the value of business. So let's get into it. Amir, welcome to The Mentor. (laughs) (laughs) What an intro. Hey, that's it. Did you organise that? I planned that. That that truck putting his on. Okay, that that was very good. Well, I'm not surprised, by the way, because you guys are the showmen, like, uh, and probably show women too. But I'll get into who's in who's in the deal in a second. I got to first and foremost. um, I love your Instagram. I mean, you guys are made for social media. Like the look, the energy, uh, the showmanship. But before I go on, I want to know. How do I properly pronounce the word? What is what are the origins of the word, and what does the word mean? So, let me have a crack at pronouncing the word properly. Kanafe, kanafe. We are well done. Kanafe. Yeah. So the K is not silent. It's kanafe. Kanafe. Right. Got it. Um, what does it mean? What language are we talking about here? Yeah. So we're. Um, my father was born in Jerusalem, yep. and my mum's from Jordan yep. with Palestinian um, heritage. Yep. 
But the kanafe, the word itself, it's an Arabic word, but it's the name of the actual dish as well. Right. Does it mean something? Though? Like, because like, sometimes, you know, the, you know, these things, are, you know, they probably go back 2,000, 3,000 years or something and, uh, and, and it means something other than the item, the product. Yeah, so as far as I know, the, the name kanafe is um, obviously represents the, the dish and think of a warm creme brulee. And so our take on it is, you know, this warm, crunchy coating on top and then you dig into it and it's got this oozing, creamy, cheesy centre. Is this dish got history or is it something you guys yeah. put together? No, absolutely. It's got a lot of history and we took a dish that's probably the, one of the most symbolic dishes of the Middle East. Oh, you really? go to the Middle East, everyone in, you know, in each city or country does their own take you know, on this beautiful dessert. So anyway, you go, everyone knows. So is yours a Jerusalem version or is this is your family's version? It's my family's version. So, yeah. you know, um, this is the knafe that we grew up on. It's a, it's a lighter, creamier take. Oh, you, now, now you're talking. Now <laughs> I know because uh, oh, let me just talk to you about something because you just said you grew up on it. So I want to go back. Yeah, yeah. Can we go back, Amir, to a young Amir, like he's mm. 12, 13? You know, how many brothers you got in this? What's the, what's the So family? I'm one of four kids yep. in, in my family. One of um, There's three boys. Three, three boys and a girl. And, and a girl. Right. And um, we all work in, the, work in the family business, but right. one of the brothers, he's a, he's a professional jockey. So he races horses. Yeah. And he helps out wherever he can. What are your memories of those days and when you first saw the first Kanafe? Well, let me paint a bit of a picture, I guess, of, of our upbringing. So my mum's one of 11 kids, born in Jordan. Yeah. And um, my father's one of seven kids. And born in born, Jerusalem. Born in Jerusalem. And so growing up, family get-togethers and most of my family. Huge. Yeah. So, you know, we have to hire an Ace Arena for family get-togethers. <laughs> you know, so it was all, all about food and people and laughter and hospitality. So growing up, we were always around food and people. At the age of 13, my brother and I, my younger brother, he's one younger than me. But we kind of grew up like twins. So everything we did, we did it together. So if you hired one brother, you'd get one for free kind of thing. And so we started scrubbing dishes in cafes at the age of 13. And we didn't come from a well-off family or, any, or anything. So as soon as we were, I guess, old enough to work and probably before we were legally allowed, I can say that, um, we just started scrubbing dishes in cafes. And we did that for a couple of years and realised that, you know, we get paid and, you know, we get to make a, get our own pocket money and it was awesome. Whilst everyone was out there spending. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so then we had a chance to work front house as servers. And I think it was at that point we realised that hospitality – was who we are. We had an opportunity to, to interact with customers. And it became a thing where, hey, we're getting paid to entertain people. What we're doing at home, we, we brought those values into, into the cafe industry and we thought, how cool is this? You just said something really interesting. Um, I guess at 12, 13 you didn't have the beard though. Um, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but because, you, because I, I know that it's funny you just said you took into the cafe and particularly in the front of house this has relevance to my growing up because, I mean, on my father's side, the Greek side, dad was one of six boys. I had a million cousins and uncles and aunties and all came to Australia. And uh, Greek Easter was our big event and um, or weddings, wedding, wedding, Greek weddings were huge. But um, Greek – and it was always in someone's backyard. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the Greek Easter was a big deal. And of uh, course everyone had to fast for a long time, 40 days before, and, and everyone was fairly strict. But Easter Sunday came and it was lamb on the spit and it was huge, like sweets, especially sweets, desserts. And in our family – there was competition um, between yeah. the aunties. 
who can make the best uh, kuluri? Uh, uh, like or whatever. It was just competition, <laughs> and everyone would say, "No, this one's the best," or uh, "Our Nathan is the best," or blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, is the best. Yeah. It was always competition amongst the, the particularly the aunties and the grandmas. Um, so, and and I, me as a kid, as a twelve-year-old kid, because that's why I should uh, twelve-year-old because as a twelve-year-old kid, I used to sit back and watch it. I, I just thought, who cares? I'm getting to taste all of it, that's and right. I, and I loved it. I loved it. And everybody was dancing, a bit of booze, drunk, and there was Greek dancing and we always went, went for hours and hours and hours and hours. And me and my cousin just ran around and went, went crazy. It was the best. It was so good. It was like ridiculously good. My mother was Irish. She, she brought her family along too. And that, that, can you imagine the two groups together? It was fantastic. And I, I remember it was about entertainment. We were getting entertained the whole time. My uncle, Uncle Bill, Uncle Vasily, um, he would uh, they, we'd, they'd have a dance floor. They'd make a dance floor and uh, hire a dance floor, and uh, they do the Greek dancing with the handkerchief, etc. And he was the, he was a great entertainer. He entertained us, and then we'd all want to join and try and dance like he did, etc. And do everything else. But did you see that? Absolutely. And, and you so, and you yeah. worked out to take that somewhere. Absolutely. And so I think what we, is your we have something in common because we're I'm Orthodox as well. So Greek Easter or oh, same deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So family get-togethers was. Yeah. Was a celebration, yeah, and those celebrations consisted, of, like you mentioned, a lot of food, a lot of dancing, a lot of singing, and entertainment. And entertainment. There was always someone there to entertain us. Absolutely. And so, like I said, we started running little cafes and restaurants, and we thought this is pretty cool. Before and after school, we took on cleaning contracts, anything to do with hospitality. We thought this is awesome. We get to make money. We never looked at it as work because we took those values from home and our upbringing, and we kind of just implemented them in the hospitality industry. For me, I've always loved being creative. So I finished from school um, and for me it was a no-brainer. I always wanted to be an architect. And my brother wanted to be a real estate auctioneer because he just loves the microphone. My brother Joey can walk into a room and people just are in awe. Like he's just got this beautiful aura, right? And he's got this magic voice. You'll meet him. Anyway, so we graduated from school. Joey did real estate. I did um, architecture. And so we'd study during the day and, and run restaurants at night for other people. And then we got to a stage where we thought, you know what? This is, the, this is the brother's one year or different to you. One year younger than me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joey and I. So whatever we did, we did it together, right? And so um, we did that for years. And then we got to a stage where we thought, you know what, we can, we can probably do this on our own. We've like, we got all the ingredients. We'd been in hospitality for so many years and an opportunity arose at the old biscuit factory, the old Arnest Biscuit Factory. Yeah, where is that? It's in North Stratfield. The irony of that is when my parents first came to Australia, they worked in a biscuit factory. My father worked on a Tim Tam line. Or the, I think yeah, old Scotch finger, sorry. And so it's kind of history, a bit of nostalgia. And we thought, you know what, maybe it's a bit of a calling. And we thought, let's, you know, we took that leap of faith. Still uni, finished? J- just finished. I was working for Hassle Architects. Oh, yeah, yeah, big firm. Yeah, big firm. Um, I was working ha- on- Hassle Partners. Oh, no, I've used yeah. them on stuff in the, in the past. Yeah, they're a big firm. And so part of my architecture degree, I had to do a cadetship. And I- uh, I thought if I want to do a cadetship, I want to do someone with a company that, you know, taken that's ambitious and taking on big projects. And I found and I come across Hassle and I thought, that's them. I walked in one day and um I kind of just met somebody there and kind of weaved my way into a cadetship there and ended up working on the Lunar Park redevelopment. Yeah, yeah. Looking back now, I think I've always been driven um, by architecture that creates experiences. So we fell into our own businesses and I kind of given up working in an architecture practice. Did you ever be then? No. Now, yeah. a little bit of a stubble, but I didn't have yeah, a beard. Yeah, yeah. And we took over this coffee bar, cafe, mum and I and Joey. Mum was in the kitchen and Joey and I were, were front of house. And so our business became my creative outlet. 
a lot of people thought you studied all these years in architecture and you'd given it up. Little did they know I didn't really give it up. I was just expressing, I guess, my passion for design and architecture in different ways through our business. What did you design in terms of bar biscotti? So inspired by the, the old biscuit factory, I guess we tried to make our own biscuits and um, even the, the decor, you know, with the design of the menus, the table layouts, functions and events. I always, I always put my own flair on things. And what was the experience you were trying to give us or anybody who goes there? The biggest experience for us and looking back over the years, our main focus it was the product was only one element, but our strengths and our passions were people. It was about creating experiences. And we felt that we took, like I said earlier, we took, you know, those values at home and we implemented them in our business. And we feel like that became a really big part of our success. So tell me back a bit. What do you mean by those values at home? Really good question. You know, we, we realised it all came down to the way you make people feel. Anyone can make coffee. Anyone can make a beautiful meal. But at the end of the day, from the moment somebody walks into your business, in any industry, till the moment they leave, if you, if you leave a lasting impression... They're going to want to do business with you and they're going to repay you with loyalty. It, it, it could have been a good afternoon. It could be a good morning. But the way you look at them, you, we, sh- we shook hands with people. They walked into our business. Would you be able to sort of um, explain the experience that you decided you want to give people who walked into Barber Scotty? Early on, we did it without even realising. And the best way to describe it would be there's customer service and then there's hospitality. They're so different. Yeah. Customer service is a tone. Like when you walk into a retail store, Good afternoon, how can I help you? It all happens so quickly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Welcome to Baba Scotty. My name's Amir. And so it's the way you say it, not just what you say, but how you say it and, and where you talk from. And so, like I said, what we, the way we were at home, we kind of just implemented that, that genuine hospitality. Not, because, not from a business end. Like I think looking back, Joey and I weren't really business savvy, but we love being around people. And we're really good at building good relationships. Well, that's, you know, you, you just said something very interesting about um, welcome, welcoming people, um, like the way you, you welcome into Barber Scotty, the way you would welcome at home. Yeah. And the, the Arabic community, and, and well, Middle Eastern communities generally, and also obviously same applies to Southern European communities too, and I only because I have experience in these areas, is that you always welcome in a stranger no matter what. Absolutely. It could be your enemy, and but if they need shelter and food – you give them that for the evening and you don't treat them as an enemy. And that's a traditional thing. Yeah, of course. Going back through thousands and thousands of years and it still maintains today. Like I'm, I, I, I get flabbergasted when I go to someone's house and I, to be honest, I don't care, but that, <laughs> they don't offer me a cup of tea. You would never walk into my father's house. My, my father, it doesn't matter who you are. First thing you do offer you a cup of tea or if it's nighttime, a, a drink. He always put some f- olives or some something. When I was uh, – or biscuits for a cup of tea. There's always something. When I was 20 uh, – in my early 20s, um, I went to my dad's village in Greece and um, and in those days my Greek was a bit rusty and um, and my dad's village – we're going back 40 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, dad's village today is sort of a bit backwards. It was, then it was even more backwards. It was hard to get to the village. And um, I, I didn't quite know which house was dad's – I want to go and visit dad's old house. And um, it was at that stage that had been in Australia for 40 odd years. And um, I had to ask all the local people where the dad's house was. And I, you know, and a few of the people there, they, they sort of grab hold and they think, well, here's a, here's a wood duck here. I'm going to, you know, drive him around. I'll charge him a whole lot of money yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> so you've got to be careful. But so, but eventually I got to this old man's house. And the driver, the ca- taxi driver, had told me that this old man knows the Boris family house. And um, this old man, I got his old man's house. It was nighttime. 
I was by myself. He was very old, like very, very old. For me then he, like, he was ancient. I was only in my 20s. And I remember he brought out to me a little Uzo, small Uzo, a very small teacup plate of walnuts just on their own and a couple of olives. And he didn't eat any of it. He just gave it to me because – and I could tell. Like I looked around his house, he looked like he had nothing. It was the middle of winter. He looked like he was very poor. But he didn't know me. He had no obligation to me other than the obligation of tradition and that is um, I must uh, welcome – that is this person, this stranger. Um, that's true hospitality. Now that probably runs through your veins and you probably saw that with your – family, extended family and also people who came to see you visiting from overseas, that's a really important element of hospitality that a lot of times doesn't exist here. It comes from a long line and it's a thick DNA strand that exists in people like you. Um, Is that – was that something that inspired you to deliver? Yeah, like it's so beautiful to actually see that you actually see that depth as well, you know, and and so beautiful and inspiring because – Hospitality for us is not something that we do. Mm. It's just who we are. Mm. And so we can't put it on and we can't be something that we're not. And so what you see is what you get, the way we are at work, the way we are with our family, our friends, everywhere we go. We're out on the street, Joey and I, and we just end up in these random conversations and people end up hugging and kissing and then sometimes they become lifelong friends. It's just who we are. Yeah. And, but that, that true hospitality... It's, it's in our veins. It's a th- uh, and I use the word thick strand of DNA because it's sort of – it's bigger than every other part of your, of you, um, of your fabric. It's, it's so important. I mean I – the Middle Eastern hospitality warmth and the way they go about it to me is – for me, in my experience, is better than anywhere in the world. Now, when you go to the US, they are very good custom service. Yeah. They're very, very good. But we know what it's for. It's for a tip. And if you don't pay the tip, they chase you down the road. And if it's not 20%, it's you know, less than 10%, they get shitty about it. It's, it's sort of more a service type thing. And then Asia's the same. Asia's serving you. I, I feel, you know, it's great. I mean, I, I love yeah. it. I, I feel yeah, happy it. about it. But I really get a really deep glow within, deep inside me when I go to Middle Eastern countries that I've been to and, and or Southern European countries that I go to, when I get that, Real, genuine, I'm here. I love serving you I, I, and being with you and talking to you and, and, and welcoming you into my place. Yeah. You know, that's and when you feel it, when you feel it, you'll know the difference. You And you must feel good about it. Oh, I think we get more satisfaction than they do. Yeah. Because yeah. you know when you're giving from all your heart, you know what it feels like and you know the way you make someone feel by the way they're responding, the way they're interacting with you. Is it an emotion? or Very. You, I thrive on it. How much of it do you think is um, made up? What, what, I mean, don't give it to me in percentages because that's how I live my life. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to talk percentages. But um, how much of it is an obligation to abide by this thing of looking after everybody and or how much of it is just true emotion that you have that you just personally love looking after people? I, to be honest, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's – and we don't look at it as an obligation either. We just feel it's our, it's our duty of care. And I think for someone to walk into any of our establishments and to walk out not feeling that warmth, I feel like, oh, they didn't, they didn't get to experience it. Yeah. You know, and so. Because that's your product. 
That's that's our product. It's not the biscotti. <laughs> no, that, that's right. And we're gonna we're gonna dive into Canafa in a minute. But um, we've always looked at anything that we've done where we sell experiences. We're not selling product. Yeah, totally. And people get bored of product, and you can buy anything these days. And we realize that there is a shelf life on products, but with experiences and the way you make people feel. There's no timeline. And there's no replacement either. And there's no replacement. So Bar Biscotti, yes. so that's the first opportunity for you to... To go on our own. Yeah, to go on your own. But yeah. do you have in your brain or your mind or your memory, because I have them in mine, um, an occasion where you felt this as a young man, as a young boy perhaps, you know, this, this felt of being delivered to you, um, this experience of... Warmth and love and security and uh, enjoyment and happiness and entertainment and fun and at a, at a, a say a family function or could have been at a restaurant or something. Yeah. Do, do, do you have it in your mind? Do you have any cl- clear recollections of these things? I really do, like I do, because when I knew I was talking to you, and I looked at you guys Instagram and I knew a little bit about you, um, and I said, look, I, I, I immediately thought about those Easter's and I, I remember one auntie in particular, Auntie Athena. The, the competition around cakes and uh, sweets, <laughs> and uh, and it's such a fond memory for me. I'm 65 now, and, and uh, it's you know, life's built on memories and experiences. It's so important to me. So, do you have one that you remember of that you wouldn't mind sharing with us, or a couple, or something? So, literally, at home, our front door would never close. My parents were always cooking and entertaining at our home. Who would come to your house? Family, friends. My father was always the mediator. You know, for everyone, he was the he was the go to person to sort out everyone in your community. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, your family's probably big enough to be a community. Yeah, well, th- well, that's right. And so we always had people over. Yeah. And so, but to answer your question, recollection of um, you know, of that hospitality was every weekend would end up at my mum's parents, and all the kids and the grandkids would end up there, and there's like 70, 80. People there, the kids running around in the garden, giving my grandfather grey hairs because running through his garden. Yeah, because he's because he's growing vegetables and herbs. Hundred percent. Yeah, and my so- grandfather said my papuli was <laughs> the same, exactly the same. Yeah, like we have Jono over here. He's a Greek background. He was probably thinking about exactly the same thing when I said papu. Um, I can just see me. He's probably still got a grandfather and a grandmother. Did, um, he, did he make bugatza for us today? He made nothing. No zero. <laughs> <laughs> But like, Two but, Greeks. I thought there'd be some Greek dessert here today. Yeah, I have a bag of um, kuluri always in my kitchen. Every morning I have – I break a little bit off, just like a, get a full biscuit. I just break a little bit of the kuluri off and um, I have that with a, like a, a coffee. I have a, a espresso machine. I make it home and I make a little coffee and a little Beautiful. bit of a Greek cake every day just for – Do you dip it in the coffee? Yeah, I do. I shouldn't, but uh, just for the symbolism, <laughs> of, it's symbolic to me. You know, it's it's. Of that's how I want to start my day. It's nostalgia as well. Like it, it kind of keeps you in touch with who you are. Oh, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I actually no, want that's to hear, all right. Please, uh, uh, your father and your mother, but your your father, um, sort of sitting as uh, Solomon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, t- tell me, what what would you do? Would you be sitting around in the lounge room, or would you be just wandering around the house and you'd see someone walk in to see dad and dad would? Or mum, would someone go and quickly make a cup of tea or something for them? What would they do? So um, even when my mum would make Arabic coffee on the pot, there would always be an extra. That's in the. Uh, uh, Over the stove. Yeah, the, those ones like the Greeks. Yeah, same. Yeah. And she'd always put a few extra cups. Yeah. I go, who are they for? They go, you never know who's going to walk in. And lo and behold, it would always be someone that just comes through the door and and she'll just pour, you know, pour the coffee. And it's 
it's not one big thing. It's all these small things that we grew up with that I feel like it's so special to us, you know, that real hospitality, you know, family get-togethers. Um, all my siblings, you know, yeah. experience yep. that, the same thing and, and, a, and a, the greater family as well. But I think particularly just my immediate family, we're very close. And so we work together, we live together. Oh, really? Yeah. You still live at home? Yeah. The whole family? Yeah. How many brothers and sisters you got? So my, not my brother. My brother just got recently yeah, married. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's, he's, he races in Brisbane. Yeah. So him and his wife live, in, live and race in, in Brisbane. And the rest of the family is Is your mum and dad still alive? So my father passed away back in 2001. And that kind of, I guess, played a big part in, I guess, how we ended up doing what we do as well. So... It became like a, a survival tool as well. Yeah, so you had to account for the family like at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, when my father passed away, my older sister, who's 10 years older than me, kind of took that financial burden and took care of all the finances for the family and we're working as well. And um, so from that point, when I was doing my HSE when my father passed away, so I was 17. And so we kind of, it became like this survival mechanism where we thought, oh, how, do we, how do we keep going? You know, we can't throw the towel in. And hospitality was what we knew. And so we thought, you know what, we're going to go all in. Who leads those decisions in, the, in, in a family as big as yours? I mean, and, and, and given the variance in ages, does mum sort of sit down and say, okay, this is what we're doing? Or did older sister do it or did you? It was, it was both. It was my, my older sister and, and my mum that kind of um, – gave us the inspiration and the guidance and, and gave us confidence to do what we're really good at. And um, we just threw ourselves in a deep end and, and went into business and started Barber Scotty. But we'd, we'd been doing it for other people. Yeah. We had the skill. Yeah. And so to throw ourselves in the deep end, it wasn't a big – we felt like we're ready, you know. Is it still around? It's still around. Yeah, We great. still have it too. Okay, good. Yeah, we're going on to 17 years we've wow. had Barber Scotty. And so it's been our little – a little baby, it's been a creative outlet for us. It's been a great way to build really good relationships with people and a lot of trust. And try things out too. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, always, we're always trialing different yeah. things. So a few years into Barb Biscotti, we found an old auto electrician. My sister was driving, used to drive down George's River Road in Croydon Park for years and it would be this building that was just dormant. It used to be an old auto electrician and we sort of crossed the road one day, my sister Mona and I, and she goes, what do you think? I go... What do I think about what? She goes, we, we do like a, a restaurant, a Middle Eastern restaurant. Because Barber Scotty, we didn't get to express a lot of our culture yeah, there. Yeah, it was yeah. more modern Australian, Italian, Mediterranean. And with Shisha, we thought it's a good opportunity to kind of showcase who we were, you know. We ummed and ahed for about a year and then we, we, we took that leap of faith and we ended up turning, you know, this old auto electrician, this run-down building into a Middle Eastern restaurant called Shisha. Shisha's the... The pipe thing. That's it? right. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the flavoured yeah, tobacco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we were going to put that on a menu and we did. But I realised Shisha became another one, I guess, another creative outlet for me to express, I guess, my passion, not just for our culture and tradition, but my love for architecture, for designing light fixtures and functions and events, menus. I made my own, like, menu covers out of leather. So I would do everything, like, myself, you know, rather than bring shop fitters and designers. And so I think that that's what kept me really in touch with um, the design world. I remember going to Oman once with a mate of mine and we were, uh, we went into, went to a desert there near there and uh, 
it was all laid out. Was, they had um, rugs on the ground mm. and had it all set up. You know, it was a paid thing. You go and pay to go and have the experience. And um, and they had those uh, shishas up, set up everywhere. Actually, I got a bit weird. I felt a bit sick after having. I had too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cigar. You shouldn't inhale yeah, it. It's just more. Of, I was dull. Oh, yeah. but, I, but, I, but but it was a great experience. And and the whole there was we were entertained. There was dancing, entertainment, etc. Mm. Um, mostly guys on drums and stuff like that. Um, but it was really cool. It was a great experience. Did Shisha have that? Going on? Did you did you bring in entertainment, or you just was just food, Mediterranean, no, uh, the, uh, Middle East food? Yeah, you know, it was it was it was big on experience, but um, the way we, it wasn't like your traditional Middle Eastern restaurant. It was kind of had this really cool bar vibe to it, and so I would play even the music that we played was Arabic, but it, was, it would be like with a bit of house and you know that, yeah, those yeah. cool vibes, you know, because yeah. we felt like there's heaps of Lebanese restaurants in Sydney, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't want to be that place where it just does. Hummus and baba ganoush and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, mixed plate. Yeah, we yeah. want to do something. We want to be something different to the table. I mean, I'm a bit like the Greek restaurants. I mean, I, I don't want to go to a Greek – I mean, I like it, but I don't want to go to a Greek restaurant and have feta and olives, you know, like, uh, you know, or Dom Others, you know. I, I'm, I wouldn't I, – I'd rather have try something a bit – either really totally traditional home-cooked mm. stuff or someone's doing something modern. Correct. Like some modern version of it. Yeah. Um, is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Yeah. So we took dishes that we grew up on but just present them in different ways, um, constructed them in different ways and – and two really beautiful things really showcased there. And one of them was my mum's kanafe, you know, this dish that we grew up on. We put on a menu as a special and people liked it. It's a dessert, right? It's, it's a dessert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a dessert. And so we put on a menu and I used to serve them in these terracotta molds. You know the base plates for pots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That catches the water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was at a nursery one day and I, th- and I would look at them and they're like literally a dollar each. They had this sail on. And I thought it was glazed and I thought, that's pretty wicked. I, I, I can bake in that. You know, can take the heat. So I bought a couple and I obviously washed and scrubbed them and I put the, laid the kanafe in there, the crumbing, the rose water washed in and baked it and looked unbelievable and different. Put on a menu and people really enjoyed it. I used to serve with a fragrant sugar syrup and a, and a mint tea and I'd construct all this at the t- I'd pour it at the table. So I'd have all these beautiful glasses with fresh mint in there. I'd have the copper pot. I'd take out the really hot kanafe straight out of the oven pour the syrup on top, pour the tea. Looking back now, every time I would do that, people were just mesmerised. Totally. I don't get mesmerised with the thought of it. I'm just and it, Mark, it's something so simple. Incredibly simple, but it just made, it, it warmed people's hearts. Yeah, but you know what? You know, I, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, like the, the whole thing you just described, there's a lot of theatre in that. And food... You're right. Well, you can get bored eating food. I mean, I get bored eating out. There's no reason for me to go because I just cook it at home. Whereas what I don't get at home if I cook it myself is the theatre. And the theatre of what you just described, bring it out in the clay pot, the clay dish, um, you know, it's obviously smells beautiful, looks beautiful. Um, uh, then you pour something over the top of it. Then you get the tea and you do the tea thing. The theatre of all that, that's something I can't get at home. Mm. That's why I would go out. I would go out if I can't get the theatre. The theatre's better than the actual food to some extent. Absolutely. It was, it's a major part of making the experience much better. So it's so what again, you are selling an experience. I'd be lying if I said we did anything fancy or above and beyond. But it was it was a delivery. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. I could have pulled I could have poured the tea in cups and given them and, and just those little small things I took if I took it away, it would change the whole game. Yeah. You know? But did you sit down and map that shit out? Like did no. you go 
No. This is just natural stuff. This is just, this is just this like, is what you would normally do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, what we did at home. Second nature. Yeah. You, you don't pour the tea in the kitchen. Yeah. The tray comes out. All the little tea cups were there. The mint, My mum would pluck tea, um, mints from the garden, put it in a clear glass, and then she'd pour. Because cause that's second nature to you. But do, the thing about that is that. Uh, that's it's not planned. Here's not second nature in Australia. Like normally, you know, if we're going to have a cup of tea, it's a tea bag. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and to see mint in a glass, wow. Yeah. I've never seen that before. That might yeah. have, but if someone say, oh, I've never seen that before, that's cool. Like from the garden, fresh. Yeah, like- yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Why don't you just take me a little bit fast forward now yeah. to you all of a sudden you discovered that this dessert was the um, star of the show. Well, we didn't know it was until social media. At the time, social media was starting to kick on and Instagram was going off and all our food reviews became about this dessert. So people started calling up the restaurant and they go, oh, we heard about your dessert. We'd like to come and have dinner. And try it afterwards. Or some people would call up and say, do you do takeaway? And it's funny because, I go, yeah, we can do takeaway, but I'll still give them to them in the clay pot, the clay, you know, mould. Yeah. If you can just bring the, the plate back when you're finished with it, that'll be awesome. Because I didn't, I didn't know anything else. I, I didn't want to compromise the quality. I baked it in that and it worked. I didn't want to put it in takeaway packaging and, or foil and, and ruin it. Some people would bring the plate back and obviously some people wouldn't. And then it got to a stage where... The takeaway started to to do really well, and people weren't bringing plates back. And the chefs, I was getting into arguments with chefs about it because we only had one combi oven at the time. It was a 180 seater restaurant, and opening and closing a combi oven, you lose a lot of heat, and we're using the oven for lots of other things. So I was put in a position where I had to alleviate some pressure off the restaurant. I had to do something, and what I didn't tell you, going back. Many years prior to that, it was through my architecture degree, I was inspired to do something with a shipping container. There was a case study. It's actually funny. I did six and a half years or seven years at uni just to take one case study. And there was a case study where architects were transforming shipping containers into apartments for living, these high-end apartments. This is happening in, in New York, Berlin. Small houses. Tokyo. Yeah, do, do, they were doing some really cool things. And for some weird reason, it just struck a chord with me because I knew there was hundreds and thousands of these containers lying around the world just dormant. No one's doing anything with them. And so from that point on, I looked at shipping containers as a blank canvas to do something. Years passed and every time I'd see a shipping container on the back of a truck or, or at a loading dock, I go, fuck, I'm going to do something with one of those one day. But I didn't know what. Fast forward those years, we fell into the restaurants and cafes and ended up with this scenario at the restaurant where... I had to alleviate pressure off the restaurant for, for the canafe. And I go, fuck, that's, that's what it's been all these years. Canafe and shipping containers. It made no sense. I'll be honest. Like, but I knew that's what it was. And so from there, I just started working, you know, on, on, on this idea. Started shopping around for a container. I was speaking to a lady that used to work for us. And um, I went to her with all these ideas. I go, I've got an idea. She goes, what now? Because my, my whole family know I'm the, the crazy creative one. I go, I'm going to transform a shipping container into a bakery. Told her about the canafe. And she knew the problem we're having at the restaurant with this dessert. So we started just putting a rough business plan together. But I started shopping around for a shipping container before I told my business partners, who are my brother and my sister. Because I know if I try to tell them, they're going to try to talk me out of it. So I put myself in a position where they couldn't do that. So I bought one, this 
24 Shippikatana, it was rusted, it was Kermit the Frog green. It was an ugly colour. <laughs> took photos of it, bought it. I came home one day and I, I told my family, I bought a shipping container. I showed them the photos. I thought they'd get excited. They told me off. I go, relax. I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it into a bakery. They go, what the hell do we know about bakeries? We know cafes and now restaurants and what the hell, you know, like so left the wing. I go, relax, it's not that type of bakery. They go, what do you mean? I go, we're going to be baking kanafi out of it. And they knew the problem I was having at the restaurant at the time. And they knew that people really enjoyed it and it was the demand for it. So it kind of made sense to them. But my mum got excited because she thought we're going to do all these Middle Eastern sweets as well, like baklava and halal tajibin. And I go, mum, we're just going to be doing kanafi. She goes, what do you mean? I go, she goes, we'll do this because where my mum cooks, she doesn't just, as you know, like they don't just cook one thing. No. They cook like 10 things. It takes them hours. Yeah. The prep times. Like you go into a Lebanese sweet shop, there's like so so much. It's all about variety. I go, Mum, we're just going to be doing kanafe. She goes, what if they don't like it? I go, well, they're probably not going to come. But I knew. I had, I had faith in the dish. And so I started working on a concept and um, a friend of mine who's a mechanic down the road from the restaurant, I was telling him about the idea. I go, I bought a shipping container and I need somewhere to work on it, somewhere close by. He goes, put it in front of my workshop. I'll move some of the cars that I'm working on and... You can work on it there. I go, done. I didn't even go there. Spoke to a guy who's picking it up from the, the yard, gave him the details, dropped it off. I went there the next day. There was this green shipping container sitting in front of it. And I just started working on this idea. And so I started an Instagram page. Which year were we talking about? 2014. 2014. And so I'd work on it during the day and I'd run the restaurant at night. Every customer that would come... I would show people what I'm working on. Hey, I bought a shipping container and uh, I'm, I'm going to be baking kanafe out of it. They go, people go, what's a shipping container? Or some people say, what's kanafe? So I had a group of people that knew what this dessert was but didn't know what a shipping container was. If I, you ever hear me say the word be prolific in promoting what it is that you're working on, this is an example. It's not even built yet. But tell everybody you've become committed to it. I mean, Oh, yeah, I was in too deep. Yeah, and you had to do it. I had to do but it. But this is an example of being prolific. Yeah. Every opportunity you have to talk to about this Canafe box that you're building yeah. and the product, you, you use that opportunity. It was just this instinct, you know, and I, and I took people on his journey with me. Love that. Underline it. He, he took them on the journey with him. That's what that's, – that's, that's the key. You took them on the journey. You took, you took them on the journey. Yeah. I was excited about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I was excited about it and it wasn't a – a business decision or a, it was just like I was excited about what I was working on and people go and I think people felt that. And so. So it, it was out the front of the mechanic shop? Yeah. You fitted it out yeah. there? Yeah, so I, I designed it, project managed it. I got an art, a friend of mine who's a graffiti artist. He came and did all these artworks. A friend of mine's a carpenter. But mind you, the, there wasn't much to the fit out. I've got one stainless steel bench in there and an oven. And that's it. You know, the most valuable thing in, in our bakery are our people mm. who credit. Once I take the boys out at the end of the night. It's still a container. There's nothing there. Yeah. It's just a front bar with all of our ingredients, yeah. a prep bench where we do all of our prep and the conveyor oven which we bake our knaf in. And that's it. And so from inception of idea to our first opening night was, was about six months from when the first the idea came to me, bought the container, designed it, built it, Opening was all happening within kind of six, all very quickly. 
and all these elements started coming together and I heard something a while ago and it, and it goes, experience breeds expertise and I really believe that because it took like all these years in this hospitality game to create this really simple concept, if that makes sense. So yeah, That's important and I think we need to stop there for a second because, you know, a number of people come to me and say, oh, this great idea and uh, blah, 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 but you have to have a whole lot of skills in order to execute on the great idea. I mean, and it's all about the execution, not just the idea. And But you'd been building skills up for a long, long time. Not only that, people, consumers, a community of people, um, staff, the product itself, you know, you'd refine the product into what it is today, what it is at the time of your launch. So how important do you think it was to you that you had the ability to go to your restaurant on a every day to work and earn some income whilst you're trying to develop this other thing on the side for six months period. Like having, in other words, having a regular income and having a, a another purpose outside of the idea. Was that important to you or do you Very, think, yeah, yeah no, very important. And I think, you know, to come up with an idea, you don't have to give up what you're doing. It can be a little passion project. It can be a little side hustle. I got to a stage where my side hustle took over everything. Do you think it was a side hustle in the beginning? It was a passion project. It was just yeah. an, it was an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never in my wildest dreams th- thought that, just to give you an idea, we, after we launched Canafe, a year after that, we had to sell the restaurant because we couldn't, Canafe just took off. Yeah. We opened up in Melbourne as well and then plans to open up in New York, which we did. And we realised in order to flourish, we got to be all in. So, yeah, it was. It was Canafe was a side project for me. It was never... This big business. Yeah, you never expected it to become no. a giant business. No, I had, I had faith in the in the dish. I knew it tastes good. And you know there was demand for it. Correct, but I didn't think it would be it would end up like this. You didn't necessarily think that it would become a destination for people. Absolutely not. And I didn't think it would be our main business out of all our businesses. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I can be completely honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go to the break and I'm going to come back and talk about the Canafe, what it is. I mean, mm. like. You, you, you know what it is. I sort of got a bit of an idea, but I want you to take me right through what's in it and I want you to take me through the experience. Mm. Um, and I actually want to go through the showmanship of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I want to know when did you decide to grow the beards and the whole – because that's all part of the theatre. It is, yeah. And, and, it's, and I think it's brilliant to be honest with you. But um, And I and I guess that there are some people who have adopted you too. So I, I have seen you in some sort of uh, collaboration with Harvey Norman and various other people, Microsoft I think it is. Um, and I, I – I don't, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember seeing it maybe two years ago, three years ago perhaps, and I want to understand why organisations like Microsoft and or Harvey Norman would adopt you and what it was that you brought to them. Yep. Um, so let's go to the break and we'll come straight back. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm back with Amir. We've sort of gone through the journey of the restaurants and the, you know, the initiatives that he and his family took. You know, particularly after the passing of his father, and uh, some of which was done out of necessity, some was done out of uh, the the sheer need to um, express themselves. Particularly Amir in this case, um, we talked about the the cultural um, inputs into what it is that they sell, but we landed on this kanafa. This kanafa being served out of a container, sitting at the front of an auto mechanic shop, I think it is, um, in Brown. What suburb? It's in Belfield. It's interesting that um, what started off as a side hustle became your main business, um, and yeah. and it's and it's something you're extremely passionate about. But it's also something that, I mean, all the other dishes are things that probably everybody else does. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, within reason. Um, the kanafa is just particular to you, though. I mean, I know other people probably do kanafa, but but that kanafa as you cook it is particular to you. It's it's easy. It's hard for you to say the other dishes that are particular to your shop, to your business. That's right. Because we, we only do the one product, right? Yeah. And so we took traditionally, you go anywhere you want kanafa, you go into a, a Lebanese sweet shop and you would ask for kanafa. They would have made it in the morning or whatever and they'll cut you a piece and they'll give it to you cold. Yeah. And if you're lucky, they, they might heat it up in a microwave. Is it like a lacto burrito? Yeah, very similar. Yeah. Where we took this one dish and we stripped it into all these elements which we call food theatre now. So we make it fresh to water. So you've got about six to eight bakers doing one product. You mean fresh to water, like on the spot? On the spot. So I go and I say, one canafe. And we, it's all happening in front and of you. And you say, okay, you're, you're, it's coming. So it's like a donut, like, if you know what I mean. Like a, it's like getting a donut. The donut gets made straight away. It's not. I don't want a donut that's been sitting there for a week. No, that's right. Or a day. And so it's a two-step cooking process. Yeah. So the first step is obviously making you know, the whole batch, right? And so this big stock pot, which will make the cheesy, creamy mixture. And then that gets ladled into a mould. There's someone doing that. Then someone spraying, you know, the, putting the crumbs on. Someone loading in the oven, spraying the rosewater wash. Then there's two guys on the other side of the oven, one putting pistachios and one with a microphone now because obviously the crowd, we have to call people's names out. Um, to get away with a really simple concept because I knew that we're only going to do one product here, right? So we have to make up for it, you know, in other areas. And one of those elements, because you asked a question earlier about the beards and why the beards? My sister many years ago said to Joey and I at Bar Biscotti, because we're very theatrical, we're up on a bar dancing and putting on pouring coffees, you know, on the bar and, you know, creating experience for people. My sister said to us, you know, if you guys are the business, how can we sell it? 
like, what do you mean? The people are coming for us. It's awesome. How good is this? Like, well, like, you know, we thought, like, is that a bad thing? I guess with maturity we understood that it's very hard to take time off when people are coming in for you. And the business was very, over the years, our business have become very reliant on my brother and I up until Kanafi Bakery. But with Kanafi we wanted to create a brand where we could be there when we're not there. Something tangible. Somewhere where we can just, not just work in the business but on it. And then I guess the whole idea of, you know, good-looking, charismatic, charming, bearded men came to me. We knew it was a Middle Eastern concept. And what represents the Middle East and men with beards? And just to give you an idea, before Kanafi, like Middle Eastern men were portrayed in the media in a negative way. So we took something very stereotypical in a negative way and then turned it into a positive and made it almost like, I'm not going to say a sex symbol, but like fashionable. Yeah, what it is now. I mean, I got a mate as a barber, like actual barber. He said people come in there, Aussies come in there, they want the beard like yours. And so you, you we took it's a Arab thing. Men. Yeah, it's a thing. And yeah. so you got to understand, like seven years ago, Arab men with beards were not looked upon as fashionable. Yeah, yeah. If I can say that. Yeah. Well, you thought maybe he's he's a scary guy. He's something's yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> Correct. So we looked we looked for men that shared the same values as us because we know we can teach somebody how to do kanafi. We it's it's very, we only do one product. Yeah. Really easy. What we can't teach is character, personality, charm, charisma. Someone that has the ability to walk into a room and you know and and put on a show. And we knew that these guys, we could build a team of these gentlemen. With beards. With beards and personality and charm. We'll be on something really special. That's your uniform. That became our uniform. Yeah. That became our uniform. Over the years, put Kanafe aside, now we do a lot of work that has nothing to do with food. Do a lot of food, fashion, lifestyle, brand partnerships, collaborations and events, photo shoots. Nothing to do with the dessert. Because you bring, bring theatre to those other things. It was never an intention. Yeah. It was just predominantly for, for Kanafe Bakery to have bearded men. But a lot of these big brands have realised there's, there's a value in these guys and the way they carry themselves, very family orientated, charismatic, charming, a little bit cheeky and fun. They became like young celebrities, if I can say that, in a, yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah, in, in a humble way. Yeah. So over the years we've been incredibly blessed to kind of work with some really amazing brands that see the value in not the food itself but like the value in the whole concept and the theatre and the way we made people feel. Because when I looked at your Instagram this morning, early this morning, and um, I saw, there's like five, there were, might have been four or five guys in one of the one of the uh, posts, mm. all beards. Yeah. And I was trying to work at who's who. Yeah. And the beard sort of um, makes sure look um, equivalent to some extent. And so now. Dark hair, dark yeah. beards. Correct. Yeah. You know, like a swarthy looking dude. Um, you know, I come. What, what do you do? You extend the uniform into black t-shirts and stuff like that. Do you extend the uniform into clothing? It would do, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how how do you extend your uniform? Torn, torn jeans. Torn jeans, yeah. Boots, boots. And yeah, that's white. right. The boots. I noticed the boots. Yeah, yeah. That the boots stood out. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So you got those sort of uh, workman boots. That's like, right. Yeah, because yeah. we do a lot of locations that are very hidden. Yeah, like yeah, old yeah. workshops, yeah. warehouses, laneways. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know a little bit rough locations. So and we're very physical as well. Half the time, the, the boys are up on the bar dancing. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be non-slip. It's got to be safe. Yeah. So, so, you, you, so your branding, your your the the expression of your brand, at least, is um um. And apart from, we'll, we'll come back to the messaging in a second. But the expression of your brand, in a theatrical sense, is is right through the uniform includes the beard. Yeah, yeah. And no, they're not all Middle Eastern. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so it's bearded. Um, 
torn jeans, boots, a dark colour T-shirt or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, white T-shirt. White T-shirt. White and, then t-shirt. and then we have the Kanafi aprons. But the uniform, That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the Kanafi, the, sorry, the, the uniform actually extends into not just the physical but the personality. Yeah. And that's been obviously a major part. In terms of, I mean, I've seen dancing on the – Dancing on a bar or like a, a tables and stuff like that, and uh, and there's a lot of interaction between with you and your c- customers or and or your your audience. You, you treat more like an audience as opposed to customers. Um, and uh, do you sing? We do, we try to. Yeah, yeah. And is you hitting instruments? Yeah, like yeah. The, we the we drums? we've got a, we've got a few drums there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And on any given night, a DJ might rock up. We might have live musicians. We might have a singer. Every two weeks, we're in a different location. Right. So how do you get the the box around. So everything gets packed into this shipping container. Right. And then we have a portable cool room which we tow. And then we have another support vehicle with all of our stock. And you and you put the, the, the containers sits on what though? It sits on the back of it. So the way it gets picked up and dropped off with the logistics company. So it's a tilt tray. Yep. Which picks which slides onto the back of a truck. Right. Picks up from one location and drops it to another. Yeah. And it's something just while we're on that topic, how we're very different to a lot of other food trucks as well is that when you go to a food truck and you order, what's your experience with the person serving you? You're, you're, most of the time you're looking up because yeah. it's on wheels. Yep. Something so small for us, which we see a lot of value in, is that we're looking eye to eye. How do you do that out of the – Because cont- the container sits on the ground. Yep, right. And we're, we're eye to eye. Yep. Even when we're taking orders at the cafe or the restaurant, I'll get down on one knee so the customer's not looking up at me. Yeah, I like that. You know, small things. yeah. But that's what separates us as well. Well, the one percent is win games, and we only tell people the day before, right, where we're going to be. So you do it on Facebook or so uh, we, yeah, we release on all our socials. Yep, we tweet out on a Wednesday. Yep, on that Thursday, the next day, we appear in that location. Right. So people know now that we release the location on Wednesday. But I have to follow you to find out too. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I got to I got to join your community. That's right. Or you hear it through a friend. Yeah, the, yeah, the bearded bakers are yeah, here this yeah, week yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It's funny they call the bearded bakers. Yeah. So a few years into Kanafe, everyone would call us. The Kanafi boys. Yep. And we thought at the beginning it was cool, but then I thought, well, what if we want to start venturing out into other things? We're going to start now thinking about this is where I said to myself a few years ago, I don't want to be one of those creative guys that struggles to make ends meet because I know a lot of people that love what they do, they're passionate yeah. and creative, but they struggle on the business side of things. Yeah, you've got no money. you got no money. Yeah. I didn't want to be one of those people. So I thought, how do I be creative, ambitious, driven, and also be a little bit business savvy? As well. And so it's, like I said, experience breeds expertise and I'm constantly working myself to see how we can capitalise with that. And so with the Kanafi boys and how it turned into the beat of Vegas, I thought, well, what if we sell Kanafi one day or what if people get bored of it? Then I don't want to start fresh again. So all of our socials became about the bearded bakers, the bearded bakers this, the bearded bakers that. So the bearded bakers became this umbrella brand and a project and Kanafi was only one project of the bearded bakers. Right. If that makes sense. Yep. So, because we're working on a few other concepts as well. And so when we want to take on another project, I'm not starting from scratch. There's that trust there, there's the loyalty, there's a the recognition that the bearded bakers have taken on another project. So can, that, that's It was a dialogue. You still got the, the side outside the water electrician? You still got that side? No, so that's where I built it. Yep. What about now though? So since then, seven years ago, we've been touring. Every two weeks is a different location. Oh, every two, and you stay there for two weeks? Yeah. Okay, okay. And you mentioned you're in Melbourne. Yes. So you, you've got locations. You've got the same concept in same Melbourne. Same model in, in and, Melbourne. And did you say you're in New York? And we launched in New York. So New York and the Middle East as well. You're in the Middle East? Yeah, we did a tour. In Jerusalem? Just 
No, in, no. in Beirut. Beirut, yeah. But the, I'd love to do something in, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. So, but you're in New York. Yeah, so with that overseas ventures, we do tours. So we'll, we'll send a team over from here and we'll plan like a three-month tour. Yeah. But the plan is to obviously have something full-time. I, I see a lot of opportunity in New York. But they'd love it. Yeah, but full-time. Yeah. We're not full-time there yet. Yeah, so that, that's cool. But and, Sydney and Melbourne is. Yeah, so so Kanafa is your still your main line of product. Yep. Uh, the bearded, bearded bakers. I yes. Mean, what are the other things that you could be thinking of now? So now Barbara Scotty is a project of the bearded bakers. Right. Um, so we had two signature dishes at the restaurant. Right. If we can go back to Shisha. Yep. yep. One of them was my mum's kanafe and these, the other ones were these Middle Eastern dumplings called shishbarak. Anywhere you go in the Middle East, everyone does their own take on these dumplings, which we call shishbarak. Some people call them manti, manto. It's a lamb and pine nut dumpling. Oh, it's a, it's a savory. It's a savory. It's a lamb and pine nut Yum. dumpling served in a in a creamy yogurt, and then it's finished with crispy mint and some roasted pine nuts and a burnt butter on top. Yeah, but see the way you describe that is um that <laughs> you just dress it up to make it sound like it's awesome. So I mean, then there's a lot in the description, but the way you just you even did it with your fingers. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. I have to like I, I didn't think about yeah, it. Yeah. And so the last few years, I've been working on another. Another concept yep. inspired obviously by my mum and our upbringing and our culture and at the restaurant it was, it was probably one of our signature dishes. And so think of an Asian dumpling house or an Asian noodle house. Anywhere you go in Asia, yep. there's these noodle houses. Well, and they're in Sydney too. Yeah, well, in Sydney. Yeah. And in the window you see these ladies and men rolling dumplings. Yep. Let's take that and translate that into a Middle Eastern format. And so I'm working on a Middle Eastern dumpling house. So taking our culture taking our tradition, I guess our, our creativity as well, to deliver something in a way that's never been done before. Knaf is high energy. It's fun. It's, um, it's intense. There's drums and it's loud. Shishbarak, Jerusalem dumplings. And so it's the exact opposite experience. It's, it's mellow. There's going to be the oud. It's going to be old Arabic artists, old Arabic movie posters. I want to show you how, because people think experience is all about high energy. I'm going to do something that's the flip side of Kanafa and show people that we can do something a bit on the – show them more the romance. So that's know, right. That, that's, still, that's still energy. It as, is. As, as the chilled energy though. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But there's so much beauty in it. Yeah. And it's funny because it's, it's a lot of music my father used to listen to and I couldn't stand like obviously because I want, when I was young I wanted to listen to all the fun <laughs> stuff. But it's funny how history repeats itself yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the things that I start loving and becoming – is a reflection of my father and, and obviously his legacy. And Kanafa was a legacy to my father. Do you think about your dad much? A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's he's a driving force and inspiration for a lot of things that I do. Yeah, I mean, obviously your mum, she stood up and... <laughs> yeah, and obviously she, my mum like, well. I mean, Your mum stood up, but like yeah. your dad wasn't able to st- stand up and th- that's always a bit sad when your, your dad never had an opportunity to stand up because, you know, he never got to show you what he probably wanted to show you. Mm. And... How much of these things do you – I mean, do you actually feel in your heart that you dedicate these things to your dad? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I feel like I live through him. Like, through him. My mum said that to me. She goes, I see a lot of your dad in you. And I think his legacy lives through us as well, you know, and we continue his legacy. He was a man of the people and I know if my father was still around, he would he would be at Kanaf every single night with a windfield blue in his – he'd be smoking – cup of coffee, walking around, talking to people. Do you have a beard? 
He had a mustache. And a mustache. Yeah. Wow. He, he had a mustache. Um, but yeah, I think the things that I love doing now, and I, f- I feel incredibly blessed that I have the opportunity to showcase not just my creativity, but my family. You use that culture. word bless a lot. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, being orthodox, I mean, one of the things that gets drummed into you is um, gratitude. Um, yeah. How important is gratitude to you? in terms of running your business. So in other words, conveying gratitude to your customers. In other words, instead of just being customer service, like we talked about right at the beginning, you know, because a lot of times when it's just customer service, there is a process whereby sometimes the person giving the customer service gets a bit of arrogance Mm. in that I'm giving you a good customer service, why don't you give me something back to me? Whereas you feel gratitude for the fact that someone's actually come into your shop. I'm so glad this this came up in the conversation. Um, I didn't think we can have the, the chance to obviously Tapping, I thought it was going to be more business, but well, that is our, business. These, yeah, these, these are our values. And my mum, when she wakes up in the morning, she kisses the ground. She goes, thank you, Lord, for giving us more than we deserve. And when you actually start believing that and saying, we, we, we got more than we deserve. And every day you live that, whatever comes your way becomes a blessing. Like you feel like whatever comes your way, how great is this? The problem is no one, no matter what comes your way, people are not grateful. So I know whatever comes our way now, I go, you know what, thank you, Lord, for giving us more than we deserve. And having that gratitude, you live a happier life. Everything becomes success. You have to choose that. Yeah. You must choose. Like on Sunday night, it's funny you say because Sunday night, you know, Sunday night to me is like a sacred night of sleep because it's the start of the week for me, work week. And uh, my dog, uh, I did the dumbest thing. I go to the German Shepherd who sleeps in my bedroom. So I did the dumbest thing. I, I bought him... Um, uh, brisket bones. He loves a bone. I'm gonna give him a, a brisket bone once a week. But I bought. The, I went to the butcher. He's a mate of mine, the butcher, and he he gave me. He said, oh, I, I got him for you, mate. He said, here's a box. He gave me a box full of them, and I was trying to break it. And I don't have a sorter, so and I was trying to chop it, and it was all too. I said, just give him the whole thing. It won't make any difference. But on the bones, a lot of fat, and um, he ate it all, loved it. And uh, but that night, when you give it to some dogs too much fat, they get um, diarrhea. Anyway. I'm laying in bed about two in the morning <laughs> and I heard him walking around the joint. What's he doing? But I was half asleep, halfway. And anyway, shat everywhere, right? It's all runny and it was all over this silk carpet I've, I've owned in my den for like 20 years. So I'm at two o'clock in the morning, I'm there cleaning. It was just shit everywhere. Like just totally, I had to roll the car. I had to clean the carpet and roll it up, lift it up at two o'clock in the morning. It's like it's really heavy. Lug it outside, put it outside. I had to open all the windows up, all the doors up. It was freezing fucking cold. You know, was, At 2 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, 2 o'clock. It took me about like an hour to do this, right? <laughs> and anyway, and, uh, you know, I threw him outside because I thought, get outside. And, you, and I felt bad for doing it because I was like, he's got to stay there because he he, he's obviously got the runs of diarrhea because it's my fault, by the way, not his fault. So anyway, I eventually got back to sleep and I then my alarm went off and you know, I got up and I'd only had like three hours sleep or something like that. But it's funny. Uh, I woke up, I was a bit cranky and then the manager of my farm rang me and uh, and he's been my manager for 17 years and I was feeling a bit shitty about the fact that, uh, you know, the dog had kept me awake all night and um, as I said, it was my fault. And then my manager told me that, uh, and Pete, if you're listening, um, mate, you know, God bless you, he told me that he had uh, cancer and he said, Mark, I've got, to, I've got to leave straight away. I've got to go back to my own property in where he lives. He lives on my property. He's been living on my property for 17 years, but he's got to go back to his own place um, because he's got to undertake, you know, chemotherapy and everything. It's like it's, tra- it's really bad, right? And I thought to myself, you know what? 
you've got nothing to be unhappy about, Mike. You're sitting here. You're sweet as a nut. So what? You didn't sleep. You fucking woke up. You're awake. And healthy. And healthy. You're sitting having a cup of coffee. You can afford to have a cup of coffee. You can afford to eat whatever you want on the menu. You're in good nick. Um, life's not too bad. Why I raise it? Because it's actually quite relevant to me and in front of my mind at the moment. Gratitude. And it's an important thing we must exercise in everything we do, everything in our life. And it's wonderful to hear that your mother actually – I love the fact that, the, the, again, the theatre of your mother kissing the floor, that has a big impact on someone like a, a grown man who's her son. I do it now. And so you should if, if that's part of your culture. And that's a, well, it's, it's not really part of my culture but, like, it's, it's a part of me. But it's a great symbolism. It's a great symbolism. I'll open the window and I'll go, thank you, Lord, for giving this And then you take it out to your your business, your customers, your staff, your colleagues, everyone who's around you. You brought it here to today's podcast. Yep. That's a big deal. Yeah. And I apply that in a business. People go, how's business? It's not fake either. It's real. 100%. Even with Kanafi, people go, congratulations, you know, on what you guys have done. I go, you know, we get more than we deserve. And people go, oh my God, like, they don't expect that answer. That, but see, that's you, you have no regrets. In fact, you don't have shit on your liver about what you do. You don't. You don't think I oh, should go to work today. You're grateful that you can go to work today. Yeah, yeah. And it helps you do what you do do really well. And and then when you do the entertainment bit, when you're up there playing the game, being theatrical, and uh, you're it's genuine, it's real. Yeah. Because you really mean it. Yeah. You can't put that on. Like you can't pretend to do it. No, no, no. Because no. Knaf is a stage, right? Like the cameras are rolling. The show's happening. Because I see everybody now. It's perfect for Instagram because they're all oh. putting you up on their Instagram. Absolutely. You're, you're giving them content. I, I was w- looking at some stuff and I was looking at all these these girls. They've got their phones out there. Yeah. Because you're giving them content. Yeah. That's so important today to play the to play the platforms. Well, I'll, I'll touch on that. So over the years we've never told anybody to take photos or videos or competitions or anything like that. Tag a friend and don't do any of that bullshit. What we do do, though, is create an environment where people want to share their experience at Kanafia. Not for us. With all due respect. That's for them, 100%. Because they want to show people where they are. Yeah. And so we take that. We take that so serious. And we kind of almost want to tap into that kind of that human psychology and create all this experience that people want to share at Kanafia. And and we're freaking genuine and we freaking love it, right? But there's all these touch points at Kanafia from the moment you arrive and if you come to Kanafi on any given point, any given night, most of the time you'll hear Kanafi before you see it. And I see it because people are sharing these moments on Instagram and Facebook. They'll get out of the car and before they, Kanafi's in the distance because they've got to park down a road because there's no parking, right? And what do they do? They reach for their pocket. Hey, totally. All right, Kanafi yeah. Bakery. Yeah. You know, I see it because people are taking these photos and they're tagging us in it. They haven't got to the bakery yet. Then they're in line and they get to water. And the guy, the baker that's taking their order is quite charming and funny and they're recording that because very interactive experience. Then they get the car, we write a cheeky name, you know, could be, you know, Magic Mark for you, for example. We take your order. Magic Mark. Yeah. Hello. You know, we're, we're taking your money and, and you're laughing. Yeah, yeah. And oh, you're happy. I want to laugh at that. Just, that's, that's you don't even realise, mm. right? You've paid and you don't even realise. Then you wait. You're sitting on a milk crate and um, the show's happening. The boys are up in a bar dancing. The guys are cooking. And you're taking another video there or a photo. Then we call your name out. You come up, you get your knafia. There's a, a card with our logo on it, a cheeky name, Magic Mark, and your knafia sitting on it. And you're taking a photo of that. It's got your product. It's got our logo. It's got the name. 
People want to share that experience. You are made for digital mediums or social mediums. Your product, your performance, your theatre and all the virtues that you guys are showing in that whole environment, as you said, the gratitude, et cetera. It's made, it's just made for, for um, social mediums and other, everyone's doing the work for you. But you've got to, you've got to create that environment. Totally. No, you've done it. You've created for it to happen. It's, it's quite brilliant. Um, it's, it's quite brilliant when I think about it. Um, it's just, and it's, it must be really satisfying for you when you go home at night. Yeah, it is. When you sit back and think about what you've created. Mm, it's, as a, it's pretty special. My mum's overwhelmed. Yeah. Like really overwhelmed and when you – my mum's inside because my mum still bakes with us as well. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of – not every night but a lot of the times. And your dad must be really proud. Well, what do you think he's thinking? What do you think? Oh. What's your dad's name? Jalil. Jalil. What do you think Jalil is thinking right now? He'd, uh, he'd be incredibly proud. Incredibly proud. Not so much on the business side of things. More about being proud of our culture and showing the world who we are. And what would he say to you? What would you say to him? What would he say to you? I would say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's, you know, he planted the seed, you know, mm. for us, you know, and we, we took those and I guess we just, we took a different path to, I guess, a lot of other traditional Middle Eastern families. You know, we didn't want to just stay on the, on the track of everybody else and do the same thing. You know, I reckon um, you've killed it. I, I think you have absolutely killed it in the proper thank rhetoric you. sense. That means a lot coming from yeah. you. I, I, I think you've done a brilliant job. I mean, I think your creativity and your ability to market what is basically a fairly simple product, um, but all the ancillary marketing and all the content that you build is just unbelievably good. I mean, it's so good. It must be extraordinarily satisfying. I've been chatting away and asking you questions all night. What, 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 do you have a question for me, by the way? Do you have one question you want to ask me? How much passion do you, I guess, you take out of what you do and apply that, you know, into your business? What what drives you in business? It's funny. More recently, um, someone asked me the question. I was talking to a good friend of mine um, who's very extraordinarily well known in the mortgage industry, um, who's just left um, the brand that he created many, 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 many years ago. He and I used to be against each other um, when I owned the wizard business and he owned his business. And uh, I had lunch with him last week and he said to me, um, it's funny, Mike, he said, we've sort of been absent for a number of years from the new business, um, which is the Yellow Big Road business. And, um, and to some extent I have been because I, I sort of um, put the control of the business in the hands of CEOs who were a listed public company, you know, I had to go through the whole process. Um, but this year, I, but I had a whole lot of things I had to solve and, I was, and it was administrative stuff. And in that solving process, that is um, selling off businesses, you know, getting through COVID, getting through rural commissions, getting through GFC, every other thing that occurred, um, uh, I lost my passion, I guess, for the product and my, my, my customers because I got caught up in what I call survival mode. Um, but we got through all that and we had an extraordinary year last year and now I've cleared the decks and my creativity has come back. And this year I've planned and done so many things um, and I'm so excited. I've never been so excited about this financial service business, this mortgage business, as I am right now. And, um, and only yesterday um, I had a conversation with a guy who I was, I was trying to employ um, about how well, – it sounds a bit uh, trite or commonplace, but how excited I am about Yellow Brick Road. 
we're going to change the name. We're just going to be a home loan company. We're not going to be a wealth business anymore. We're just going to buy ourselves. Why are we our home loans? And uh, but I've got all these million ideas that we're all putting into in place at the moment. And um, so, and I've been in this industry for twenty five years now. Um, and but I had a period of probably five years where I sort of I didn't lose the passion for it, but I was caught up in survival. And uh, in two thousand twenty one is sort of for me is a, a rebirth of my mortgage business. And um, and I've and I've become more the I'm obviously the owner of the business, but I've become more the manager of the business now. So I actually run the business. Um, How important is it? It's so important to me that I can actually. Uh, I think the word is create ideas and thoughts and and things around the business. Um, whereas before, I sort of um, delegated that to other people to do for me, and they're never going to do it the same way as I'm going to do it. I'm the founder of the business, and the business responds better to me as the founder of the business. And as the founder of the business, everyone loves the fact I've got hundreds of franchises around the world, around the country. I've got two and a half thousand brokers in the country. Um, you know, our business is like, you know, we did $2.8 billion in applications in April, just one month. <laughs> like it's a ridiculous number. Um, but the business loves the fact that I'm getting involved and uh, they respond to me because, Mark, you're the guy. Well, I mean, I joined it because of you. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not saying that in an egotistical way, but they did. A lot of them did. And for me not to give myself to them is wrong. So having that relationship is so important. Big deal. And it's – and I'll, I'll be selfish. It's really important to me. Like I'm being selfish now. I actually get a lot out of it. It makes me a better person. I'm enjoying my life better. I'm more excited to come to work. Um, and the more excited I get, the more ex- the more excited I get again. You know, I think more and more about I'm really looking forward to being in the office early to do stuff and to talk to people. And what about this idea? What how's that going? What, what are you up to with this? And, and this is sort of like your uh, container project. Yeah, for me, uh, like I feel like I feel like I'm starting again. Something that's really exciting. Someone's giving me I don't know who it is, but someone's giving me the opportunity to kick this business off again in a really good market and. My business is about making sure people can borrow money to buy a house, to have the thing that everybody deserves, a roof over their head. And do you think about that a lot? 100%. That's what I want to do. For me, my opposition are owned by the big banks. And the big banks are big banks. They're there to make money for their shareholders. I'm there to make sure that I take them on. My game is to make sure that if you're if you're a chance of getting rejected by one of those organisations, you come to me. I'll find the place where you, I can get you set, and I can help you achieve your dream. And that's my job, to help people achieve their dream. And I had to get myself back into the position where I can remember that and actually ach- and try and achieve that and push that through my business. Make sure everybody understands it. I'm the only independent left, independent brand left. All the other brands are owned by. You know, the big multinationals and all the big banks. There's no one left. And for me, my friend, he said to me, he said, Mark, you're best when you've got an opponent. <laughs> and he said, you've forgotten to find an opponent. And that's what I've been doing, looking for an opponent. Now, wow. I, and I've worked it out, it's the banks, it's the big organisations yeah. who don't give a shit about, they do but they don't. Like individ- the organisation of the big banks, the big multinationals, they don't give a shit because they they don't have a heart and soul because they're too big. There would be individuals in those places who do generally want to look after people. I get it. But as an organisation, they can't. My organisation is not so big I can't care about people. My organisation can care about people and I can make my organisation care about people. 
I'm not interested in bonuses or share prices on, because I know if I care about people and I look after them, the profits will come and my share price will increase. I look at it in a different way to the way they look at things. So that has totally reinvigorated me and uh, thanks for the opportunity to actually give myself a 30-second ad on my own TV show or my own radio show, my own YouTube show. But no, I'm uh, actually more, like really intrigued in that. I guess how important is that human connection with your franchise and how do you translate? Incredibly important. Like, And I, I sort of only started to – How do you kind of fl- like – I guess pass that on to all the family. I've got to keep talking to them. I've got to keep seeing them. And last year was a challenge with COVID. I couldn't. And this year, but it's different. I can travel now. Just in my own office here, head office here, like um, I have to, I sit down with everybody. I sit down all the time and talk about what we're doing. And for me, it's about talking to my customers too. So I'm going to go back on television and start doing TV stuff, not in TV shows, but TV ads. I mean, I don't want to do TV ads, to be honest with you, but I am. I'm doing um, advertorials. You know, I've been around for a long time, made lots of money. Here I am doing TV advertorials for three, four minutes on, you know, Channel 9 on after 9 a.m. on Monday to Monday to Friday. And uh, people say, why are you doing that? Because I want to talk to the people out there who listen to these advertorials and do it through digital mediums as well. Trying to help people work out, take the mystery away from borrowing money, take away all the myths away from borrowing money. You know, I want to lend people money to people who are over 50. I want to lend pe- money to people who women who are single women who haven't got a husband and don't think about a husband. I want to lend money to people who are d- women who are divorced and no longer have the so-called breadwinner in the household who might have two kids. I want to lend money to that family. I want them to buy themselves a house. It might not be here in, here in Sydney. It might be in Lismore. I don't know. Wherever it is, I want to help them get set. And that to me is so exciting. I love that. It's so exciting. Inspiring. It's been a real pleasure to sit here and talk to you and it's given me a uh, pause to think about some things that are important to me as well. So I really appreciate that opportunity and um, you guys are the real deal. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley and production assistants Jonathan Leondis. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.